0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today
1: if you're like me it seems like everywhere you look you see ads for sports betting and online gambling but what's led to the rise in these ads these past few years as we move towards the Super Bowl season, we'll take a look at the rise of sports and online betting, both locally and nationwide, with Fox senior correspondent Emily Stewart. Plus, a look at the potential pitfalls and impact gambling can have on communities with the executive director of the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling, Michael Burke. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit today on 109 WdeT I'm Nick Austin filling in for Steven Henderson it's been a tough time for Michigan sports lately don't get me wrong our football teams deserve a lot of credit for exceeding expectations with the Wolverines making it to the college football playoff ranked number two in the nation and my beloved Detroit Lions attaining a winning record for the first time since I think Harry Truman was in office I'm gonna fact check that one Still, it's bittersweet. Michigan couldn't get to the title game and the Lions did not make the playoffs. And my beloved Pistons, well, perhaps the less said about them, the better. But there is one benefit to all of this, at least for me. Less time watching sports, which means less times watching all of these sports betting ads I see everywhere. And I mean, seriously, they're unavoidable. So as the NFL playoffs are upon us, it sometimes feels like the league itself might be bought and paid for by sports and online gambling. I swear I even saw a show that was literally just dedicated to pitching sports and online gambling. And I hear about it from my friends, both men and women. So what's going on? Between 1992 and 2018, sports betting was effectively banned by federal law in all states except Nevada. That changed when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the prohibition allowing states to legalize uh, the practice. And several have now, including Michigan, which passed its own laws legalizing both sports and online betting the following year in 2019. And apparently Michiganders like their betting because last I saw, we were ranked seventh in all states in dollar bets all time, according to ActionNetwork.com. But other states have been more reticent. For example, California residents overwhelmingly rejected uh, ballot measures to legalize both sports betting and online gambling last year. And it remains restricted in Texas. But is that good either? Proponents of allowing sports betting argue that people have enjoyed gambling since the dawn of time and should be allowed to do so. Prohibiting it won't stop the practice. It just drives it underground. Instead, it would be better to allow people and the state to benefit from the tax revenue while letting individuals enjoy the practice with safety and oversight. But critics argue that sports and online betting companies prey on those who fall into addiction, that not enough money is spent to help folks, uh, and mobile betting makes it too easy to fall into these traps. Further, increasing the amount of money involved in sports betting also increases the chances of corruption. Remember the days of boxers throwing fights to make an extra bit of money or how the mob would pay off athletes to get a certain result. A little later, we'll speak with Michael Burke, the executive director of the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling, to hear his story and learn his thoughts about the state of gambling in Michigan. But right now, I'm joined by a show favorite, Emily Stewart, who covers business and economics for Vox. She previously wrote the piece, Sports Betting, Pretty Fun, Probably Terrible, and joins (laughs) us now to let us know what she learned about the current state of the industry. Emily, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So, Emily, you've done the work. Tell me, why do I see sports betting ads everywhere?
2: Oh, I think the long and short of it is there's a lot of money to be made in this, right? I mean, especially right now with the Super Bowl coming, NFL is kind of the super bowl of sports betting the super bowl is the super bowl of sports betting (laughs) right so there are ads everywhere you know i'm based in new york and we legalized or we were able to start sports betting last january and it was like night and day here everywhere i was it was like okay it's the same thing you were describing there is sports betting everywhere i see it everywhere but basically it really is There is a lot of money to be made here, um, and there is a real land grab going on right now. You know, there are a lot of companies trying to get involved, whether it be FanDuel and DraftKings, whether it be Caesars, whether it be MGM. And so a lot of these companies are spending a lot of money right now, though they are tearing back some of that marketing spend, but they really want to get people in the pipeline. Not everybody can win.
1: Right, right. And that leads me, I guess, to my next question with now that we've had a couple of years of this land war, a few years of this land war, is it turning out to be worth it for these businesses?
2: You know, that's tricky. I was looking at a Wall Street Journal story from a couple of months ago that said some of these companies are starting to pare back on some of the marketing spend and, and starting to focus on the customers that they already have. You know, I'm not sure what happened out in Michigan, but here last year... Caesars is offering up to $3,000 in free bets. That's money. (laughs) That's a lot of money. And people are running away with that. Um, So it's not a super, super lucrative thing for a lot of these companies right now. I think that the hope is that it will be in the future because right now what's happening is they're having to spend so much money on marketing, on these ads that we are seeing everywhere, that that really eats into their profits. But they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't think that they're were money to be made
1: right and that leads us i guess to the industry i mean when i think about this question i think about there's multiple components here you've got citizens you've got uh, you got the proponents you've got the uh, people against it but you also have the leagues so i guess i just want to start first with what are the arguments for having uh, more access to online sports betting like we're getting in places like michigan here
2: so i mean you kind of got this before a lot of people will tell you listen Sports betting has been happening forever. It is going to happen whether or not it's legal. So why not, as you said, get some tax revenue from it. In some states, hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue and keep an eye on things. You know, from the league's perspective, there's a lot of of cash to get here. It's also a way to expand your audience. You know, if you are in Michigan, maybe you're a Lions fan and you normally wouldn't care about, I don't know, like a Giants game or a, a 49ers game. Well, if you've got money on that game, you might watch, right? And so it's a way to expand their audience. You know, the leagues have been a little bit careful about how in bed they are getting with sports betting, if only because, yes, obviously it is very exciting for a certain segment of the population to be able to bet on sports, and it is a way to expand your audience. There are also you know fans who are really turned off by the sports betting ads that really don't like it. They feel like it's corrupting the game, that it's making the whole thing a little icky. So it is... A little bit of a weird song and dance, but over time, like it's it's hard not to watch games and see that this is really, really creeping in. You know, the last year Super Bowl, even you think of, you know, the themes of the ads were really crypto, which who knows what that will be this year <laughs> right. uh, and sports betting. <laughs>
1: A lot of that as we're speaking with Lauren Gibbons, again, who covers business for Vox. And as we're getting into this issue, we also mentioned uh, the leagues themselves, and they've changed their tune on it. In fact, the reason we had the prohibition federally back in 1992, the leagues really pushed for that, but seem to be softening now. Uh, what changed for them, Lauren? Uh, I mean, it's,
2: like, money. Like, yeah, everything <laughs> right? I
1: Everything's money. <laughs>
2: everything I talked to last year was like, listen, like, you know, I mean, at some point, it's like the Supreme Court makes this decision, right? They strike, they strike down this federal law. State starts to legalize. Like, if you're in a sports league, you kind of have, like, what do you do here? Like, you have kind of two options. Do you like, ignore it or do you embrace it? And I think the obvious answer here is, like, it, it's like the floodgates are open. What There are kind of are no other choices. And everybody, at least I talked to for this story, was safe, like, yeah, the Supreme Court said yes. Like, what what would you think anybody
1: would do. Right, right, right. Well, one of the other reasons I think about this a lot, and I've heard about it even from um, younger folks who talked to me who weren't necessarily in gambling, you talked about getting more people in the pipeline. One way they're doing that is mobile gambling. It seems to be there's a big push in allowing people to use their phones to make bets really instantaneously. But I get concerned that that kind of maybe reduces the friction, right? Sometimes when you're making that big bet, it's good to be able to have time to think about it a little bit, say, I don't know, will the wife or the husband appreciate this? Versus if it's just at your phone and you press go and it's done. Um, what did you find out in your reporting about how mobile betting fits into this and concerns? Is it really leading to a bigger uh, uptick in younger people betting?
2: I mean, there's certainly concerns with that. With, I mean, you look at even like trading apps like Robinhood right. or anything that you put on your phone that you can bet on. It's... Like obviously, it reduces friction. You know, here in New York before it was legal to bed here in online sports gambling, I knew people that were going over to New Jersey where it was legal, and then their phone would be able to know that they were in New Jersey and they were gambling. So obviously it does make it a little bit easier and a little bit more frictionless. I think you know the appeal here, like for let's say for a casino, right? like Caesar. So they, you know their their customer base of their're just normal casino casinos is a little bit older. It can skew. You know, women who like the the slot machines, right? And, right. and when I talked to Caesars, I said, "Listen, like this is a great way to get you know a younger audience in the pipeline, a you know more male, like young males in the pipeline." And then I can say, "Hey, didn't you like sports betting? Well, like have you ever been out to my casino? Why don't you come?" Mm-hmm. And it's also a way to get their existing customers who maybe haven't bet on sports to get into sports betting. Um, so there really is a you know, desire here to get people into this and really get people betting on a lot of things. You know, one person I talked to last year said, you know, and this is obviously not happening right now, but he was like, once you have a person that wants to bet on the outcome of any event, like, you can imagine them wanting to bet on a lot of things. Right. And you can imagine these platforms really expanding and giving these people all sorts
0: of options.
1: Yeah. And as we're speaking with Emily Stewart, who covers business and economics for Vox, we also want to speak with you out there. Uh, What do you think of and how do you feel about the rise of sports betting and ads? Are you a sports better, and have you placed a bet online or on your phone? What is the experience like for you? Do you like it or do you think it was a mistake for Michigan to go so fully into allowing sports and online betting? Or have you had a family member or yourself had difficulty with betting? What concerns do you have about the practice? Give us a call now. 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Emily, in your reporting, did concerns about integrity and corruption ever come up? And I think about specifically as we have more leagues, including like smaller ones like the XFL starting up with football and people still allowing bets on smaller things – if more money is getting into these industries, it would seem like it would be easier for nefarious participants to capture them. Was that something anybody was talking about in your reporting?
2: It definitely came up, and it was definitely something that I had asked about. Like, this obviously is, is a possibility. You know, i talked to people who tended to be more industry-friendly in general. Like, not all of them, but many of them. And, and a couple of them said, you know, first of all, like, if, if you think that sports betting was happening illegally what was going to ha- what was going to stop a player from throwing a game if you know they knew about an illegal bet right so mm-hmm. hey. and i think you know one person said and i don't know how much credence to give this but said like at least at really at the high level at, you know where these players are making millions and millions of dollars there isn't a ton of incentive maybe to, to cheat for an extra little bit of money but that person did say you know if you look at college athletes and or people like you said playing in smaller leagues like there could be a little bit more of an incentive there because there's you want money like you're not making millions and millions of dollars every year right yeah it came up
1: uh, I do want to, before uh, we move on and we've got a call coming in, I did want to ask you about your experience because in reading your article, it did seem a little bit funny how it looks like they even got to you with the ads, getting in there, doing a little bit, putting a little Skrilla on the line. Uh, what was your experience like with sports betting?
2: Yeah, so I signed up for Caesars and I got the $300 bonus. I was too scared of the, uh, the $3,000. <laughs> that
1: seemed like a lot
2: of money to put in. But I wound up winning, like, I think, like, $400 total because the 300 was free. And I basically made a bet on, like, a triple-double one night on some NBA game. And to be honest, I couldn't tell you for the life of me what that is. But I'm from Wisconsin, and I saw the Bucks were playing, and I was like, whatever. Um, and for a second, I was like, oh, this is so fun. And then I started to lose money. And, you know, it was like <laughs> I'm obviously not a secret sports genius. And it, <laughs> but you know, the people I talked to said, listen, like, even people who really watch sports, like, you know it's you know the house always wins like the people who really know and I just had like a lucky bet and it was very fun and I really did understand the appeal like it was like oh I get that because I'm not really a gambler but it was really fun in my apartment in Brooklyn to suddenly have these four hundred dollars you know it was fun but I have to be careful and
1: not do it again hey everything in moderation as we move right now to Lynn in Detroit Lynn go ahead you're on Detroit today
0: Hi there. I think online gambling is just the worst, worst thing. It's wrecking so many people's lives. There's thousands of gambling addicts and to have them have to have these ads pushed down their throat it's just yeah. really terrible. I don't know how we approved
1: that. It's right, awful. Right, right. Well it did get through in the legislature here and I do appreciate uh your call, Lynn Lauren. Uh, what is the industry doing in terms of the rise of sports betting and ads? Is there any counteraction to helping those who are predisposed to being addictive? Are there any measures in place?
2: I mean, I don't know what it is in Michigan here in New York. Part of the tax revenue does go to funding uh, gambling addiction, which is a little bit strange. Um, you know, what the people in the industry will tell you is that they are trying to put in safety measures that they do try and put in kind of stop gaps for people that they do notice have problematic issues. I mean, also if you get emails from any of these companies or you see the ads online, it's like, Hey, why don't you bet on this game? Also, if you have a gambling addiction, let us know. Um, They, you know, it's, it's a fine line. And, you know, I know you have someone coming on about this after me, but I know there's one statistic that, I found when I was reporting on this was that people who gamble, you know, daily on sports do tend to have higher levels of problematic play, which is, which is tough, you know, because it is also a thing where there are games all of the time. You can bet on anything, you can bet on a tennis match in Australia, or whatever. Um, so it is, it is scary. And companies, you know, as much as they say, they don't want people obviously to have, you know, get into too much debt and really run into problems and have an addiction. They do want people who are coming back.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it do, there is money that's set aside for it. But the last numbers that I saw, and I know you're not so familiar with that here, as again, thank you for uh, calling in with that take. The last numbers that I saw, Emily, in looking at that about two years ago, is that we were receiving revenue here in Michigan but the amount that was going towards actually helping out problem gambling was uh, remarkably low. In fact, as I uh, look down here at my numbers, uh, 2 years ago, Michigan reported a combined 1.1 billion in earnings strictly from online gambling and sports betting. After taxes, 209 million went to the state, 59 million went to the city of Detroit, 22 million to local governments. But only a small fraction, about $1 million, went to compulsive gambling, wow. the Compulsive Gambling Prevention Fund. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to me like that's a low amount, and we will get into that a little bit more with our next guest. But in terms of movements on the other side, uh, what have you seen? Has there been a pushback against uh, this uh, a proliferation of gambling in any concerted effort? I know, for example, uh, it didn't really take in California when it was put to the people.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is, You know, you are seeing, I think, you know, one thing I heard from people last year was, like, if you look at Europe, like, they've kind of started to have Paris and stuff back, as they had seen sports gambling really get out of control, then, wait, 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 this is a little bit too much. Um, And so I think, you know, it seems like now we are pretty early on in this. Like, you know, a lot of states are still looking at this. Uh, One person I talked to last year said he thinks it will probably be legal everywhere, but Utah at some point. Um, You know, California is a you know, maybe a positive sign that voters didn't want it. You know, I was yeah. talking to a colleague who lives in, who covers California yesterday, and I was like, "Well, what happened in California? And he was like, you yeah, know, to be honest, I'm not really sure why it was defeated by so much, and there were multiple ballot measures, and that's good, but it is, there is also, like, a lot of money lobbies, lobbying for sports gambling, uh-huh. so it is hard to know.
1: Very good. Well, Emily, I'm sure there's a three-team parlay that you need to take a look at, so I'm not going to keep you on here too long, but thank you for joining us, giving us a look at the national landscape of sports betting. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. When we return on Detroit Today, we will continue talking about the impact of sports betting and the rise of online gambling and ads with Lauren Gibbons, taking a look at the impact here locally. As we continue on Detroit Today, it gives you an opportunity as well to give us a call. 313-577-1019. How do you feel about the rise of sports betting and online gambling? Are you for it, against it? Do you do it? Let us know and give us a call right now. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson as we're talking about the rise of sports betting, online gambling, the ads that we see everywhere. And after getting a national perspective, I thought it would be great to take a look at what's happening locally, as we know, with the big change in the past few years. And who else to bring in for that than Lauren Gibbons, a reporter covering Michigan politics for Bridge Michigan. Lauren, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. You know, we took a little bit of a look at the national picture, but I know that you did some reporting on uh, this, especially when it was going through the legislature. Where are we at right now with uh, online sports betting and gambling here in Michigan? What's it looking like on the ground here?
0: Yeah, certainly. So um, it passed uh, the legislature in a bipartisan fashion in late 2019, um, you know, initially, uh, sports betting went out first, and then online gambling came a little bit later as the state was kind of putting it together. Um, so the pandemic kind of impacted that initial rollout of sports betting. I remember that was, you know, supposed to come out for March Madness, and then uh, and the pandemic happened in 2020. But, um, you know, then uh, with uh, online gambling uh, going into effect about a year later, um into a year of online gambling, Michigan um, produced about 1.4 billion dollars in revenue in the inaugural year, um, which uh, Michigan became the third state to generate more than a billion dollars in revenue in the country uh, and and apparently was one of the only states to do that within its first year. So clearly um, clearly online, Um, gambling and sports betting was very, very popular with Michigan residents.
1: Yeah, and one thing I'd be interested in is knowing um, what we know in terms of if we're getting the revenues in from that, the tax revenues that we expected. I suspect it would be closer than some of the other states that I've seen. But before we get there, since you did cover the passing of it, you mentioned It was in a bipartisan fashion. Do we have any idea of the constituents? Is this something that the constituents were also pushing for? Or how did it end up getting passed in a bipartisan fashion uh, with that split Congress and uh, governor's mansion?
0: You know, there were uh, a lot of factors that went into online gambling and sports betting. Um, the argument, um, from the Democrats perspective, especially was you know, that some of this tax revenue would be going to education. I believe there was another, um, part of the fund that was going to, um, you know, a, a firefighter's recovery or, you know, folks who, um, folks who were, you know, going through and like needing medical care. Yeah. Uh, there, the, so it went, it went to a few places that the Democrats were happy about essentially, um under the tax revenue structure. And uh, so that that was one thing that got some of the Democrats on board. And some of the Republicans, you know, were saying this was a way to, you know, maybe generate revenue for the state without dipping into other forms of taxes, like, you know, income or gas or those kinds of things. Like it was a way, or sales, you know, for example. It was a way to generate revenue while kind of targeting, you know, gambling as opposed to of what every, you know, day-to-day activities um, Michiganders are doing. So so that, that was kind of the thought process. Certainly, it was not unanimous. There was a lot of concerns about, you know, the possibility of an increase in online gambling addictions. We have seen an increase in people, you know, re- reaching out to Michigan's Problem Gambling Helpline um, with the increase of internet gambling in Michigan. So, Um, There there were and remain some concerns uh, with this package, but it it was uh, supported by both Republicans and
1: Democrats. That's great. As we are, again, speaking with Lauren Gibbons, who covers uh, politics for Bridge Michigan, state and local politics for Bridge Michigan. And we want to speak with you as well, especially if you're like me, seeing all of these ads for sports betting. Are you a sports better? Do you enjoy the fact that uh, we have it now here in Michigan? What's your experience been like? Do you know people who've been impacted by it? Do you think this is good for the state or do you think it's a net negative? Are you someone who opposes how it's uh, enacted right now and have concerns about uh, folks being left behind, not being helped out in problems with addiction gambling. Are you someone who has gone through that and can share your story or has gone through it with your family? Give us a call. 313-577-1019. That's 313, again, 577-1019. And Lauren, uh, you've color- covered uh, state politics here Some of the things that I always get concerned about when you feel like, oh, there's this new free source of revenue that we can uh, put in our state coffers, is that people start relying on it, especially with, you know, you get the initial boom, think that money's going to come in like that forever, and it doesn't. When you start relying on these funds with what so called syntax or whatever, uh, then we don't necessarily get to what we need to generate like revenue in a a mainstream. I mean, I think about like, for example, the casinos in Detroit that were said to bring so much stuff to the city. And I wonder if that's really happened. Uh, Have you seen anything in trends in terms of like in your past about uh, relying on new sources of revenue and then that drying up? What does Michigan do after that?
0: Well, you know, I I think a lot of people went into this conversation with the expectation like this wouldn't replace the gas tax or this wouldn't replace like Michigan's existing tax structure, right? They kind of thought this was like added benefits. Um, It was kind of a similar conversation to um, recreational marijuana once that proposal passed the implementation and looking at how that would be taxed uh, at a state level. You know, no one in state government necessarily is saying online gambling revenue is going to replace or you know, potentially like give Michigan a huge surplus. We're also, um, it's been kind of complicated in the last couple of years because Michigan's, um, Michigan's revenue is so much different than what it has been in recent years because of the pandemic, right. because what we've been seeing with, um, you know, with the federal stimulus impacts, with the increased unemployment benefits during the pandemic, Michigan's surplus is pretty high right now. So, I haven't really heard much conversation about, you know, how online gambling revenue is impacting because if there's bigger fish to fry. There's a lot of money on the table
1: right now. Right, right. Speaking again with Lauren Gibbons, and we want to speak with you as well, 313-577-1019 as we move to Henning in Rochester. Henning, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Uh,
4: good subject. Uh, I have to admit, though, it makes me quite sad because I think that the whole online gambling thing is like a, a symbol of us not being able to protect uh, the weakest in our society godless politicians who do not dare to step up and instead we are allowing things to go forward like it is with the could be the opioid crisis could be the gun crisis instead of preventing tragedies from happening such as people here maybe losing their family maybe even losing their lives due to suicide So instead, we just run behind the ball, trying to make up for our own weaknesses. I think it's uh, very, very sad. I think if people want to gamble, they should be allowed to go to a place where you gamble so you have a a small chance of actually realizing it is what you're doing before you just press a button and destroy your life. I I think we're making light out of a, a potential huge tragedy. But again, because of godless politicians, we... Are uh, too weak or unwilling to actually prevent it from happening in a which is like blind dogs that are just running behind the ball.
1: You know, Henny, I hear a bunch of great points from you there, and I do appreciate that insight. Uh, one, again, the frictionless nature of using your phone, maybe not necessarily knowing what you're doing late night, you just put up the phone, you're like, ah, go ahead, put some money on it, versus having to actually go into a physical location and think about the process all through there and realize what you're doing, physically hand over money, is a completely different feeling. And another thing I think about, um, as I hear from you, Henning, is uh, the idea that, hey, if we're going to get revenue from these sources, like things that we know can lead to addiction, it would seem to me that that revenue should first go towards protecting (laughs) Those who could fall in that trap, make sure you take care of that. And then the excess revenue can go to other things like the Firefighters Fund or, or whatever else. But uh, I leave Henning's questions to you, Lauren. Uh, what do you think about uh, these subjects and what Henning had to say?
0: Sure, yeah, and that's that's a really good point, And that came up quite a bit during the... Um during the conversations in the legislature, a lot of people were concerned about um, problem gambling and people who you know, might be addicted having easier access uh, to, to these um, options. Um, and some of the initial returns uh, we saw in 2021, there were 4,463 calls to the problem gambling helpline. And that was about triple the number of calls in 2020 um, the year before online gambling was approved. So there has been um, an increase to this line. Now, I think, as uh, the previous speaker mentioned, you know some of the revenue does go to um, does go to problem gambling, and you know the the casinos uh, are obligated to have information about how to get help, how to access this helpline. Uh, You know, that said, there are still a lot of critics out there who say that's not enough. This isn't really helping the small number of people who, who are gambling, and um, you know, do have addictive tendencies. Um, So, so there's definitely that. That's not a resolved question. I think there's still a lot of concerns about it.
1: Thank you so much again Henning for your question or for your comment here and adding to the conversation as that means there's an open line for you. 313-577-1019 again 313-577-1019 as we get into all things uh, sports betting online gambling the rise of ads here as well as the ability to do it on your phone. Lauren I um, do we do have to note that? Yes, there is money that is set aside. Uh, so yes, it is the rub. We can't. It's not like we can say the state's doing nothing. Clearly, the state does have concern for that. The question is: Is it sufficient? Is it just lip service? You know, when it comes to anything in the legislature, right? It's the you know, each dollar you spend is kind of a a policy statement of what you think's most important, right?
0: Sure, and and it is important to note, as I said it's at the top of the call. Um, You know most of the revenue that's generated and goes back to the state you know does go to schools Uh, that's the largest receiver and that was you know part of the reason supporters for instance if if they were going to legalize online gambling you know some of that money should go back to you know some of michigan's top funding priorities including education so so that i remember that being a pretty big part of the conversation while it was going through the legislature like if this is going to be legalized if michigan is going to enter this sphere and capture some of that revenue um you know schools should be at the top of the conversation
1: yeah absolutely now lauren since you did uh, do some coverage on it uh, what are you looking forward moving forward before i let you go and again thanks for coming on i want to give you the last word on this topic
0: you know, I think, I think it will be interesting to see, you know, how the trends change over the years, if there are additional resources put towards anyone who might be suffering, you know, additional consequences from this, like having that easy access, like if there's more resources put towards a uh, potential problem gambling, um, you know, how the, as, as you mentioned, how the, uh, revenue fluctuates over time. There was a pretty big year. I think, um, a little bit more revenue generated than even what, uh, some of the supporters expectations were in Michigan. But as you said, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue increasing forever. Will there be, you know, the dips and valleys in this, uh, you know, in this revenue collection? And how much, ultimately, will opening, Michigan up to online gambling and sports betting have uh, have impacted Michigan's coffers here.
1: Lauren, I again appreciate you waking up early with us on Detroit today and hanging out uh, and giving us a little bit more insight on in how this is affecting us here in Michigan. Oh, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And she leads right into our next topic is conversation. As when we return, we'll speak with Michael Burke, the executive director of the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling, and continue with your calls, including John in East Detroit. Give us a call, 313-577-1019, as we continue here on Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, discussing online and sports betting, all the ads that we see, and how it's impacting the state. And uh, As two years ago, Michigan became the 15th state to legalize online gambling, currently almost half the states in the U.S. allow it. In fact, making it so easy, just a click of a button, to place a bet. But is that a good thing for us I know one person who has a little bit of insight on that and personal experience, and he's our next guest. It's Michael Burke, the executive director of the Michigan Association for Problem Gambling. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today.
5: Good morning, and thank you so much, Nick.
1: Hey, thanks for coming on. You know, I could get into a bunch of questions with you, your lawyer. You know, I could ask leading questions, all of that. But I know you have a story, so I'm just going to set the table for you. What is your story and interaction with gambling that even led you to the position of becoming the executive director for the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling?
5: Well, my my story is a story, basically, of all compulsive gamblers, Um. Uh, Started out gambling a little bit just for fun. No no big deal uh, as a young man. Uh, and there were no gambling casinos around or anything like that back then. It was a quite a long time ago. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I had a fun time doing it. Uh, I uh, became a lawyer. Uh, my family... Uh, was a family of lawyers. My grandfather was a judge in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He actually uh, was appointed by the president to be a judge at the Nuremberg War Trials after the Second World War. My father was the head of the Michigan Liquor Control Commission. Uh, he was an attorney. Uh, and so I became an attorney. And what what's really interesting about this is if there's one thing that i knew you've never touched your client's money
1: that's a big I no-no mean,
5: that that was the number one no-no and, and i knew that and uh what i've learned uh over the years that for gamblers do that and two out of three gamblers two out of three gamblers will steal money with which to gamble or in most cases, to take care of problems created by their gambling. Mm. Uh, I, I started gambling uh, basically when Casino Windsor opened in 94. Uh, they talked about proximity. Casino Windsor uh, was uh, 50 miles from Howell, and the, the magic number was Fifty to sixty miles, if you're within that range and you're predisposed to having a gambling problem, uh you'd better pay close attention mm. Of course, i didn't know any of this at the time, and uh after they opened uh, the casino, uh, I would meet over there now. imagine here I am a practicing attorney uh Married two beautiful daughters, a lovely wife, a special ed teacher. Have everything in the world that any person could want. And I'm sneaking over to Windsor to gamble. Uh, one of the important lessons in all of this is that it has nothing to do with the money. Uh, the only factor of money in all of this is allowing you to continue uh, You're gambling,
1: right? Right.
5: And and that's what I did. I set a limit, like most good gamblers. Any gambler you can get to come on your show and talk to you is going to talk to you about the limit that they set. And in the beginning, it worked. The the first phase of compulsive gambling is actually called winning, <laughs> and that seems kind of crazy, uh, but what it is is it, is talking about getting hooked. Yeah. And they talk normally about one major event in the gambler's life. And uh, mine was something that happened years ago out in Vegas. I was out there with my two brothers. And we were just having fun, and uh, they were coming down from the room. I was waiting for them, so I sat down by a dollar slot machine. I didn't play the slots back then. Right before they walked in where we were going to eat, I hit a jackpot Mm. for $17,000.
1: That would probably feel pretty good.
5: I I want to tell you, uh, it was a life-changing event. Now, would the $17,000 change my lifestyle at all? No. But the feeling that I got, the rush that I got from it, uh, it just, it, it literally buried me.
1: Yeah. Well, um, Well, Michael, one question I would have for you is that story is very interesting. And we're going to learn a little bit more about it is based on your experience with this and concerns, what's your stance in terms of gambling in Michigan? Should it be something that's allowed for people? Do you think it's too risky? Does the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling have a stance when it comes to uh, gambling in the state?
5: Yes, our stance is that we don't take a stance on gambling. We let people make up their own minds. Uh, we try to get things put in place to help people right. uh, when they when they get into trouble. But we don't really take a, a stance uh, as an organization, and I don't as an individual. You know, right. I remember people saying to me back when all of the trouble blew up in my face. Uh, you know all those terrible casinos and all of that, and even then, I can remember saying to people and to myself, nobody from a casino ever came to me and put a gun up to my head. Said Michael, "You go into that casino and you gamble. Or I'm going to hurt you." All right. This is all. Uh, this is all pretty much a free will thing. Now the problem is. And we knew this in Michigan in every state that allows gambling is that there will be a percentage of people who will not be able to control the urges uh, of the compulsive gambler. And they're going to get in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: And there's absolutely no question about it. We have some programs in place. I wish we had more. I wish we had an inpatient treatment center uh for gamblers like like we do uh for alcoholics uh i'm a recovering alcoholic also i haven't had a drink in 40 years
1: congratulations
5: Uh, but i go around the country speaking today and wherever i go and i've spoken in over 40 states wherever i go i tell the alcoholics for god's sakes don't gamble and i tell the gamblers for God's sakes, don't drink alcohol. They both think I'm nuts. You know, they just don't see the correlation. But I'll tell you, it's incredible. Yeah. Of the thousands of gamblers I've spoken to, uh, the ones who have had, had an alcohol problem, they got through it, went down the road. Uh, they'll be sitting in their little AA meetings, and all of a sudden they'll say, oh, after the meeting tonight, Let's, let's go over to the casino and
1: yeah.
5: have a good time. It's legal. It's appropriate. There's nothing wrong with it. But what I can say to that population is for them, yeah. they should certainly stay away from it. Anyone who's ever had an addiction in their life should stay away from gambling.
1: Yeah, thank you, Michael. As we are speaking with Michael Burke, the executive director of the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling, going to go to the phones in a moment, Michael, and also a little bit later round out your story of what happened with you in the recovery process. But before we do that, one of the things you brought up are things that you think the state could be doing uh, to help out with this issue. Uh, What do you think? I want to put a I want to put a finer point on this. What do you think the industry itself or the state should be doing that it currently isn't doing uh, to make this a safer place to uh, gamble and for betting?
5: I think we need a real serious inpatient program. You know, if you're an alcoholic in the state of Michigan, one of the finest programs in the country is right here for all of us and that's Brighton Hospital. Mm. I'm a graduate of there. I'm their board of directors. Uh, it's an incredible 30-day inpatient program. We have to break the bond that the addiction has, and the only way we can do that is to get the addict uh, out of that environment for a right. minimum of 30 days. We need a program like that, uh, a self-alone standing program, our organization has been fighting for that. Uh, well, I've been in it for over 10 years, and they were fighting for it long before that. Sure. It, is, it works. I'll tell you real quickly. There's a program in Louisiana that we could pattern it off of. Uh, it's called CORE, capital C, capital O, capital R, capital E. If I had a loved one with a serious gambling problem, I would get that person into that program. Uh, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, the guy who started it, his name was Reese Middleton. He's dead and up in heaven now. Uh, but he went to the legislature and said, look it, we're going to bring the boats in for gambling this over 20 years ago. And um, what I will do is set up a treatment center and run it. And he set up two homes. Hmm. In the area. So it's, it's relatively a cheap form of treatment, and he set, he sets up these two homes. People come in; it's a 30-day yeah. inpatient program, and it works. They educate you. Um, it's based on the same ideals uh, as this Brighton Hospital, yeah. and I'd love to see something like that That's in Michigan. Great.
1: I appreciate that, Michael, as we do have phone lines I mentioned. And, John, in East Detroit, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. So
3: I, I, I had a question for your last guest, but uh. Uh, maybe it can be answered. But uh, I want to just talk about my experience with the lottery. I, I'm going to show my age a little bit. You know, in the 70s, uh, the, the the voters here in the state of Michigan were kind of, after about three or four different tries, they finally got and passed the state lottery. And you know they started off with the three digit and then they had the four digit, and then they had the five digit and the cash five, and then they had the lottery and then they started drawing the two the three and four digits twice a day, and then they have what fifteen different scratch offs and you You watch people go into the stores and they have to have one of everything they can't let uh-huh. one go by because that might be their ticket and uh I just uh I, th- I think it's absolutely disgusting when you, when you do watch television. I don't know if there's more pharmaceutical commercials or more gambling commercials. Either one of them I don't think are good for you. And uh, I just wondered what the number of, you know, your last guest stated how much money went to the state of Michigan from these, I, I believe, what national companies that are, are doing all this online gambling. Where is the bulk of their profits going? Is it staying in the state of Michigan, or is it going to some other place?
1: Well, I can tell you, John, that uh, in terms of online betting, the way the uh, uh, legislation works right now, it's supposed to stay and be operated wholly in the state because if it crosses state lines and it becomes under federal uh, auspice and then the federal (laughs) government takes a cut of that, uh so I believe a lot of that stays here locally theoretically now then what happens with it after it's taken in I, you know I couldn't tell you all of that but I would leave that question to you Michael if you know as you do have a little bit more experience with this
5: Well the, the state of Michigan makes a lot of money off of gambling I mean that's why that's why we've uh, approved it time after time uh for this, for the speaker, there's a real. For the person who asked the question, there's a uh, real interesting uh, act that Governor uh, Engler passed, and uh, it had to do uh, with, with problem gambling, uh, the things that we could do to take care of it, and when he when he passed it, or when he when he got it passed. The the money basically back then was going uh, from the lottery into the school, supposedly, and there were some questions about how uh, that was being worked out. Uh, now, basically, it's a, it's a taxing device. I have no problem with it. Everybody knows when they walk in a casino, they buy a lottery ticket, that it's, it's their self-choice to do that, um, but... In 1994, when uh, Engler uh, had this study done, it showed, number one, the problems that we were gonna have with family, and number two, the benefits that we were gonna have. And it was laid right out for the people. This had to do with when the act uh, was coming into full force and effect. And people, I believe, should be allowed to, to make that choice. The problem is, they knew when they did it, that we we're going to have these social problems, we we're going to have a divorce, we we're going to have family problems, we were going to have uh, crime was' going to go up, uh, all of these really bad things, and they've all happened, and they continue to happen. And I listen to your story, and I think people who are listening on the radio go, "Oh my God, that guy, that poor guy's really got it rough. Well, that's the life of the compulsive gambler. I always tell people, all compulsive gamblers are the same. We're addicted, and that's what the term addiction means. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the problems that we have with our families and our jobs and all of that, when uh, we get down uh, to the point where this gentleman right now is talking about yeah. uh, that, that's where we run into the, the real major problems. It is the highest suicide rate of any addiction. Just mm. think of that. The wow. highest suicide rate of any addiction.
1: Yeah, well, well, Michael, I have like I have about like thirty seconds left, and that is very okay. deep. But I do want to give you an opportunity to close out your story because I know that it, you hit a rock bottom and then you had a lift back up. So if you can in the next thirty seconds, just close that out for people so they know it.
5: Okay, I, I will. Uh, I took money from my clients. Uh, I had been borrowing money, uh, always able to pay it back. It gets worse and worse. I end up borrowing it from clients. I was going to be turned into the bar I got um, there. So that's when I went into my client's escrow account. I ended up in the next year taking $1.6 million out of that account because like every other gambler before me, I was going to win it back. I never was doing this to get money to keep. I was doing it to get money to pay back, and that shows you just how sick it is.
1: I appreciate your time, Michael Burke. I know after that you're disbarred. You ended up going to jail for a little bit of time, but you've uh, made quite a reclamation. And now as the executive director of the Michigan Association of Problem Gambling, thank you so much for coming on the station and joining us as you're listening to 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation.